Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Today's episode is presented by Lloyd's Banking Group. Everyone deserves a safe place to call home. That's why Lloyd's Banking Group has championed the social housing sector for decades, supporting more than 340 housing associations across the UK. Notre projet pour une France plus indépendante, une Europe plus forte, et par des investissements et des changements pour chacun, en libérant la créativité, l'innovation dans notre pays, et pour faire de la France une grande nation écologique. Welcome to a special edition of EU Confidential, devoted to the result of France's presidential election. I'm Andrew Gray, politics editor at Political Europe in Brussels. And that, of course, was Emmanuel Macron, freshly re-elected for a second term with around 58% of the vote in the election's second round. In his victory speech in front of the Eiffel Tower, he pledged to make France more independent and more green and to make Europe stronger. Macron, the centrist pro-EU candidate, saw off far-right challenger Marine Le Pen, who nevertheless won more than 40% of the vote, a record high that allowed her to claim victory in defeat. Avec plus de 43% des voix, le résultat de ce soir représente en lui-même une éclatante victoire. Those numbers are based on projections from multiple polling companies, so the final result may differ a little, but not a lot. One other number worth mentioning, more than 28% of people eligible to vote decided not to go to the polls, the highest abstention rate in 50 years. In this episode, we'll analyse the results, hear from the camps of both candidates, and consider what it all means for France and for Europe. On Sunday evening, as the results became clear, we held a live discussion on Twitter with a crew of our expert reporters. Clea Colcutt in our Paris newsroom, Elisa Brown at Macron's post-election rally, Giorgio Liali at Le Pen's election night event, and Matt Karnichnik, our chief Europe correspondent who joined us from Berlin. So let's dive into the highlights of that discussion now. I started by asking Clea, our French politics reporter, what the results said about the state of France and French politics right now, and whether it showed a country divided between two very different worldviews. Yes, so indeed it does show a very divided country. I mean, the national rally, Le Pen's vote has always been a protest vote in France. Um, and now we see the protest vote, the anti-establishment, the populist vote reaching over 40% in France. And that's, that's very high. And uh, we've had um, divided political landscapes in France before, you know, the left versus the right, conservatives versus liberal, um, who've been at loggerheads. But, but really, with the Macron camp versus Le Pen camp, uh, the values are totally different. Marie Le Pen wants to return to the nation. She wants a, a greater share of sovereignty. She's got a very 
confrontational attitude towards the EU, even though she doesn't want to leave it anymore. Uh, Macron is much more for progressive values, uh, economically liberal, pro-business, which is not the case of Le Pen. And tonight, the messaging from Macron's camp was very much, let's rally the country around. Macron, in his speech tonight in, in front of the Eiffel Tower, said, I know the country is divided. Car notre pays est pétri de tant de doutes, de tant de divisions. And there's, there's really a, a message of unity now coming out. It's difficult to see how they're going to bring on board this 40% of people who decided to cast a vote for Marine Le Pen tonight. Yeah, and Cleo, why do you think that Marine Le Pen has done better this time around? Is this a sign that that kind of Eurosceptic, sovereigntist worldview is on the rise in France? Or did other factors play a role here as well? Yeah, I do think that Euroscepticism is on the rise in France. I mean, if you look at the ratings among EU countries, anti-EU sentiment is at its strongest in France, which is quite ironic because France is such an important player in the EU. But I also think that what really touched a nerve in France is that sort of populist um, talking to the ordinary French discourse that Marine Le Pen uh, managed to develop during this campaign. I mean, she was very much talking a normal language as opposed to Macron's quite technocratic language. She was talking about the problems of making ends meet, of, you know, uh, going to do your shopping, being able to pay for the fuel that your car uses, and um, speaking to people who vote for her, who are interested in her. It's really that sense of the little people, the ordinary French who are who she has become a sort of spokesperson for. And I think it would be a mistake to see this as really sort of like far-right values uh, sort of taking over 40% of France. I I think it really is with that sort of drive of talking about these problems and basically pitching herself against the establishment that she's managed to rise like this in France. And Clea, this is something we've talked about uh, before uh, in this discussion that we did after the first round and in our EU Confidential podcast. But for people perhaps just tuning in now, what about the war in Ukraine, which really overshadows so much in Europe, in the world at the moment? How big a role did that play in the campaign, particularly in this second round? It's, I think it played a role in the, coming up to the second round vote. I think before that, less so, because you see her poll ratings really didn't change after the war was starting. But I think it, coming ahead to the second round, it, it was spoken about in the debate. And uh, Emmanuel Macron was very pugnacious and, and very cutting when he spoke about Marine Le Pen's links and past ties to Russia So the fact that her party has a loan with a Russian bank that is seen as being close to the Kremlin. And and I think all of that uh, nevertheless did kind of filter through and sent some some warnings through, you know, the voters as to is this somebody who can, um, you know, take on the destiny of France. And I think talking to people even within the sort of nationalist camp, as it were, uh, they, they say that those, the people who actually are, follow international affairs would have been sensitive to this and they would have thought, uh-oh, you know, there's a war in Ukraine. We're not going to change the captain of our ship, as it were, for somebody who has these sort of like dubious ties. But I think for those who don't really uh, follow international relations, I'm, I'm not sure that that would have really sunk through. 
Okay, now let's see if we can get out and about. Let's talk to our reporter, Elisa Brown, who's at that Emmanuel Macron event. It's on the Champ de Mars in front of the Eiffel Tower. It's an outdoor event, so it's going to be a bit noisy, and I know the signal is not the best. But Elisa, if you can hear us and if you can join us, give us a sense of the mood there among the Macron supporters. Merci! Merci, chers amis! Hi, Andrew. Hi, everyone. So, uh, indeed, uh, it's a bit noisy, so sorry about that. But uh, you can feel that there's joy, there's relief. We even saw the Justice Minister, Eric Dupont moretti with a tear in his eye at some point. But when you talk to ministers individually, you can also feel some sort of uh, tension uh, when you mention the abstention rate and, of course, the far-right vote, which was super important. Macron did not win big and everyone seems to know that he was facing the far right for the second time and his results were not as good as they were in uh, 2017. And there's also a growing train in places that hit him during the yellow vest uh, crisis. For instance, uh, everyone here has in mind the result in the Outre-mer, which were leaked early in the morning and that show a very complicated situation and a complete loss of trust in institutions as they also show a large victory for Le Pen. Let's switch to Giorgio Liali, who has been covering the Le Pen election night event. Giorgio, that, that event is indoors rather than outdoors in the west of Paris at the Bois de Boulogne. Give us a sense of the mood there among the Le Pen camp. What's the overwhelming sense, one of um, celebration that they did so well or disappointment that they didn't ultimately win this election? Well, Andrew, it's really both. Indeed, it's an indoor event, but there is a beautiful garden all around it. So now... I'm speaking to you from outside, and there is a lot of disappointment and a lot of hope, especially after the first projections have been published at 8. Many people were really, really disappointed, and many people I spoke with were really saying that they believe French people to be stupid and they thought that French people did not understand all the damage that Macron has done to the country. But then speaking with people from uh, from Le Pen's party, so some official and some councillors of Le Pen, there is a lot of hope. They insist very much on the hope for what they called the third round of the election, which of course is not a real third round, but is the election in June to elect the members of the French parliament. And there, uh, Le Pen party could do far better than than what she did in the in the presidential election. So, and all energies and efforts are now oriented to that election, which is in June. And how did they feel about the Eric Zemmour camp? As we know, in the first round, there were two far-right candidates. Zemmour kind of burst on the scene a few months ago, was seen as the kind of rising star of the far-right. Ultimately, Marine Le Pen, uh, you know, prevailed in the battle between those two in the first round. Are they going to be able to unite and form a kind of single force for the parliamentary election or, or in the years ahead? Well, Zemmour has spoken tonight and he, he hoped for such a scenario. So he called for, for an alliance between uh, the two of them. And some officials from uh, Le Pen party, well, they were not very outspoken on this. But one of them, for example, mentioned the possibility of really having this patriotic front. So conditions are there for such an alliance to be in place. There is really a big community of values and of ideas 
supporters of Zemmour and supporters of Le Pen share the same vision of what France should look like and what the European Union should look like. So there is definitely a margin for such an alliance, at least according to officials from Le Pen parties here. Okay, thanks, Giorgio. Um, I was going to see if we could bring back Elisa, who I can see here is kind of cutting in and out. So while we wait to see if we can get her back, let's go to Berlin, uh, look at the bigger European picture, bring in our chief Europe correspondent, Matt Karnichnik. Uh, Matt, is there great relief in Berlin tonight or or also concern about uh, Marine Le Pen doing so well? I think there's great relief all over Europe. There's great relief in Berlin. There's great relief in Vienna and across sort of uh, the civilized parts of of Europe. And I I think from an outside perspective, if you look at the French result in any other country, this would be a blowout. You know, I mean, this is a a pretty wide margin and all the the caveats about the last election and so forth. But, you know, I mean, this was, especially for an incumbent, I think if these figures are borne out by the final result, this is a, a pretty impressive result by Macron, especially given the headwinds that he's faced over the past several years with the yellow vests and other pressures. So I think that, you know, once again, we see here that when the the chips are down, that the French tend to hold their nose and go for the pro-European path, as it were. But I think it's also a reminder to the rest of Europe, if you sort of look at a lot of the commentary, that, you know, there is a sense that the French election system and that the French democratic system writ large is a bit antiquated in the way that it puts so much power into this office. And it's such a binary choice at the end of the day, which is really not typical when when you look at other democracies in Europe. And on paper and in fact really the French presidency has has more power than pretty much any other elected office in the western world including the american presidency and uh you know i mean that does create a lot of this resentment that we've seen towards macron and especially you know just this hate that was really palpable in in this electoral campaign and i think that there is definitely concern across europe about this system in France going forward and and the kind of potential for instability that that it creates for Europe. Okay, let's talk a bit about the balance of power uh, within the EU in the Franco-German relationship. Would you say that now Macron has won a second term? And given also the difficulties that Germany is facing at the moment, particularly in terms of criticism about its stance uh, over the war in Ukraine, being criticised certainly by Eastern European countries and by others for not doing more in terms of supplying weapons or contemplating a Russian energy ban, does this mean Macron is le boss? Is he now in charge? Does he now have the upper hand in the EU? I think he is definitely, especially vis-a-vis the United States, because the United States, and this is true of Biden, it was also true of the Trump administration, they take France as a military power much more seriously because they are a bona fide military power. They stood shoulder to shoulder with the United States in Africa and elsewhere, and they're doing their part now for Ukraine. And this is a very convincing result, I think, for an American audience. So they are going to be heartened by this and want to continue to cooperate with Macron going forward. And Germany is now under Schultz really struggling to make its voice heard within NATO to justify the decisions that Schultz has made not to deliver heavy weaponry and so forth. 
So I think this is a real opportunity for France to show that it is the leading power for Macron in particular as the senior statesman as it is now in Europe with Angela Merkel gone to show that France is going to uh, take the lead in this foreign policy crisis which and security crisis which uh, the Ukrainian uh, war has, has presented. And do you see areas where uh, France and Germany now might push forward with cooperation? Is there common ground between Macron and Schultz that they're now going to want to capitalise on now that Macron has won this second term? I think Germany will definitely be uh, looking to Paris. Uh, There is going to be a bit of tension, though, when it comes to issues such as strategic autonomy, which a lot of people in Europe now would would say is dead, this idea that Europe will be able to stand alone without the United States, in particular because many other members of the European Union, especially Eastern European countries, big Eastern European countries, particularly Poland, do not trust Germany anymore after its reluctance to really help uh, Ukraine in an effective way here. So I think you're probably going to see Germany try to find ways to cooperate even more deeply uh, with France to sort of cloak its own deficiencies, as it were, on security. And Macron, it's also worth remembering, is a figure who is very uh, popular in Germany generally. So I think this is something that uh, Chancellor Schultz will try to capitalize on as he sees his his own uh, approval ratings at home really uh, suffering as a result of his stewardship through this Ukrainian crisis. Okay, thanks, Matt. Let's see if we can bring back Elisa briefly, if the network will hold. Elisa, what was Emmanuel Macron saying about uh, the weeks and months ahead in terms of his priorities, what he wants to do in his second term, uh, how he plans to win a majority now in the parliamentary election? Did he give us a a sense of, of his priorities there or did his supporters and surrogates at the rally give you that sense? Well, I just discussed with the Minister of Labour, uh, Elisabeth Baum, who was uh, actually quite concerned about the weights of uh, abstention regarding the future elections for the national parliament. And uh, I think that one of her main strategy, at least what, what she told me, was basically to go back to the field. I mean, they don't want to waste any minutes. And there are rumours about a reshuffle. But the thing is that for the next few weeks, uh, for the next few days, sorry, Macron's government is expected to remain the same. So they will start their battle soon. So can you hear me? Yeah, we can just about. <laughs> it's, it's cutting in and out a bit. So listen, Elisa, we'll, we'll leave you there. It's OK. We got a good sense of it. But I'll, I'll bring in, in Clea, who I think has a bit more stable uh, Wi-Fi because she's in our Paris newsroom. I'm um, in an office. Yeah. Um, Clea, let's uh, look forward uh, with you as well. How big a battle is it going to be for Macron to win that parliamentary election? We know that he has managed to establish himself, if you like, but his party, the movement, uh, La République En Marche, has struggled in, in recent elections in recent years to really put down roots. So how big a battle does he face there and how important is it that he has a majority? Yes, well, the rest is going to be short term for Macron. I mean, it, it is going to be uh, difficult for him. I mean, traditionally in France, people have tended, voters have tended to give the sitting president a majority in parliament. You know, if you're going to vote for somebody, you're going to give them the means to be able to work. 
But going ahead to this parliamentary election, it seems that things are a little bit different because uh, the far-left candidate Jean-Luc Mélenchon got 22% of the vote in the first round. And just to recall, Macron got 27, um, Marine Le Pen 23. So you see there's, there's three big blocks here. And uh, the left-wing voters are thoroughly frustrated in this election, are now vowing to have their revenge, or that might be a bit too aggressive, but vowing to, to come back in the parliamentary elections in June. And so there's going to be, seats are going to be um, fought over and um, Macron will indeed have to be able to, you know, muster forces. And as you say, his party has not always done well in local or regional elections. And it's anticipated that the strategy, at least from what I understand from his party officials, is that he's going to try probably and pick off MPs, politicians from the remnants of the uh, right, the conservatives and uh, the left, the socialist party, and try and get some of their, you know, sitting MPs to maybe join in uh, to give him a much more of a backbone going into these parliamentary elections. So that's going to be a, a big battle for him. Another thing that's going to be in his inbox is really his reform drive. Um, so, you know, in 2017, he was a fresh face and he came in pledging that he was going to revolutionize France, that he had, um, he would, you know, create a startup nations. And a lot of these ambitions were frustrated due to the COVID-19 pandemic, due to, you know, mass protests across France. And so now he's coming back saying, yes, I am going to reform France. Um, obviously, he says this time round, I'm not going to make the same mistakes as I did last time during my first mandate. I'm going to be much more cooperative. I'm going to be much more engaged and, and working with people to find solutions and not have frontal oppositions with people that lead to blockages and, and confrontations. And you could see that tonight when Emmanuel Macron, we were watching on the on television screens, was approaching the Eiffel Tower to give his victory speech. He was surrounded by girls and boys, young people uh, with his wife, Brigitte Macron, walking along to Beethoven's Ninth uh, Symphony. And uh, really showing that he's among the people now, whereas he did the, uh, an almost similar march uh, five years ago during his, his victory speech at the Louvre. But he was all by himself. This time round, he's with the people. And so he's pledging a, a new method going into this new mandate. Right. I mean, he was uh, widely portrayed. Uh, I think even the idea was meant to have come from his own camp that he should be Jupiter, right? Somewhere up above it all. But he seems to have uh, come down a bit to be uh, among the people. Maybe just one final one, Clea, because you mentioned the idea of him picking off people from uh, what were previously, you know, or not so long ago, the dominant forces in French politics. And again, this is something we've discussed before, but it, it's quite starkly represented in this second round in that the socialists and Les Républicains, the Conservatives, the centre-right, are nowhere. Is there any way back for them in the parliamentary election or in the years to come? Or are these now the two big blocks in France, a kind of progressive, centrist block around Macron and a kind of more nationalist block around Marine Le Pen? Is that, is that cleavage, if you like, here to stay? 
It's it's very, very difficult to see how Les Républicains and the Socialist Party are going to make a comeback because in 2017, they suffered big crushing defeats. But this time around, there's a financial impact. Um, Les Républicains didn't reach a certain threshold for the refunding of, of their campaign um, fees. The Socialist Party had to sell their campaign headquarters last time around They don't have a second HQ that they can sell this time around. So it's really difficult to see how they are going to survive going into the the parliamentary elections. I mean, it does seem that on the Conservative camp, there will be migration of of politicians towards uh, Macron and also towards the nationalist camp of Éric Zemmour and Marie Le Pen. And that it sort of looks like it's going to split and the Socialist Party, I think that they're still trying to do a showing in, in the parliamentary elections. It's still true that uh, locally and regionally, they have networks of elected representatives. I mean, even if they, they've lost the government of the country, they still have sort of local strongholds here and there. But it is going to be difficult, given that their candidate, Annie Dalgo, got 2% of the vote in the presidential election now. Yeah, quite incredible. And it will be interesting to see if, if Jean-Luc Mélenchon, as he has been saying, can capitalise on his strong showing in the first round of the presidential election. And we see a kind of stronger far left emerging as a kind of third block. Uh, but that's something we'll look at more in the weeks to come. We hope you enjoyed that conversation with our political team in France and beyond. And that's all the time we have on this special edition of EU Confidential. Don't worry, we'll still bring you our regular show this Thursday. So if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to or follow the podcast wherever you're listening. Thanks this week to our team in France, to our social media producer Anna Fota, our podcast intern Noah Zan, our executive producer Christina Gonzalez, and thanks to you for listening. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.